You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. What's up? What's happening? Welcome in. It's the Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. That is Logan Paulson. I am Craig Hoffman. I am coming to you from the same chair that I always sit in. Logan coming to us from a hotel somewhere in California. Not to be confused, Logan, with Hotel California. (laughs) That's a very popular song from a long time ago. Great song. That's one of my favorite songs of all time. Yeah, so I'm out in California, Los Gatos, doing some combine stuff. And it's early out here, Craig. It's very, very early out here. So I'm a little bit, got a little sleep in my eyes still. You're probably bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at this point. Yeah, we got a long day ahead. Uh, our couch that was supposed to be delivered last Thursday is finally getting delivered today. Uh, so go. we got we to gotta move another couch out. We got to move some stuff around. But excited to finally have our home come together. Um, the weather, the weather here in DC, not kind to deliveries last week. Anyway, nobody cares about that. Here's what they care <laughs> about: we got football stuff to talk about. Uh, the Commanders' head coaching search is ongoing. We will touch on that kind of through the lens of the playoff games, like we did last week on the show and then we will uh towards the end of the show get into what logan is doing out in california you mentioned some combine stuff kind of what the process looks like for prospects at this point what you're doing helping some of these prospects and then some other thoughts as you started to watch some film of some of the players that the commanders might be looking at at two so we'll get into all of that as we go uh logan but let's just let's just go in order of the playoff games uh, on the divisional round. And we can talk about, obviously, some of the coaches and kind of this, you know, the the tangent topics off of that as it relates to the commanders, starting with the Ravens' big win over the Texans, 34-10. to 10. Um, In commander's terminology, if you will, it's Bobby Slowick versus Mike McDonald. That's what a lot of people uh-huh. care about. But I, I'm curious, you know, how you would kind of respond to this idea that because McDonald has now beaten Slowick twice, uh, this season or their teams have that it's like, oh, well, why would you ever consider Bobby slow? Like clearly Mike McDonald's better. Um, mm. Can you talk about the differences and like what, what, I guess what role playoff performances by a coordinator play in their resume as a future head coach? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think it's something that people maybe don't fully understand. Like, obviously, it's an important data point, and it's something that is relevant to your coaching search because you want guys that win football games. But ultimately, like, I think people really 
fans and people that aren't familiar with the process really undervalue the interview process. Yes. It, it, like the resume is important, obviously, and, and you winning football games is important, but what do you like in the room? You know, like when Kyle and Sean were both interviewing for Joms, there was this like prevailing thought that that Sean was going to be more impressive in the interview because he interviewed better. And like there was opportunities for Sean that weren't there for Kyle because Kyle, you know, like has changed in this regard, but was a little bit standoffish, a little bit abrasive at that point in his career. And, you know, obviously has grown out of that and become this this guy that is a brilliant head coach. Um, but I think there's so much to be said for how you deal with the people in that room that are on that team of, of the selection committee, right? How you talk to Josh Harris, how you talk to um, Adam Gates, all, all these different guys, right? Like how, what does that look like? What is your vision? How do you present that? Cause really like everyone gives Ron a hard time for saying that he's been managing for the last three years, but the head coach is a leader, a manager, unless you're calling plays, obviously that's a little bit different, but it's really about your relationship with those people and how you present yourself in those meetings. So while that is an important data point, like it doesn't really matter. Like you, once you get in that room, that's the thing that's going to really decide. Like think about Sean's record, but what, like when he went out to LA, like the, the year prior when they were coached, it wasn't great. It wasn't like, Oh my gosh, here's this guy that's been super successful, super dynamic. It's like you were hiring a guy who was a charismatic leader who had a vision for an offense, who had a vision for a team and he had a good uh, inter, inter, interpersonal relationships that were very high, or that skill was very high for him. So I look at that, and I think like that's what that's why you're doing these interviews, right? Is to get that stuff. It's not the football stuff. These guys are all smart football coaches. Like the, all the guys we've talked about on this show, all the guys they've interviewed are very, very smart football minds. It's about the interpersonal relationships and your vision for the team that can only be kind of seen when you're in that interview process. No, I'm so glad you said that. I talked about this on the radio show on Monday, and I used Sean exactly as an example. His last game in 2016, to take it to like the head-to-head Slug versus McDonald thing, right? Yeah. His last game as offensive coordinator of the Commanders in 2016 was against Steve Spagnola and the Giants, uh, Spags being the defensive coordinator, right? Like, Spags is an incredible defensive coordinator. Uh, he's gone on, obviously, since 2019 to win a couple Super Bowls in Kansas City. He was a part of the Giants Super Bowl winning teams uh, back in the late, you know, the late aughts, early 2010s. Like, he is fantastic at that job. But if you come out of that absolute flop of a game at the end of 2016 where the commanders have a chance to get into the playoffs and they come up short and their offense looks terrible, it's one of the worst games Kirk ever played uh, in Washington – like if you just judge it off of that head to head matchup, you'd be like, oh, why doesn't Spags have the job? Right. Why why doesn't like that's just not how this works. It's about a different skill set. Now, I do think that a clear vision for football is really important as a head coach. Um, and, and that is essential to kind of partnering with Peters and building the team, right? Right. Like if you can't communicate your vision of what you want your team to be, you're not going to hire a good staff because you're going to hire a bunch of maybe talented people, but that don't fit together. Like kind of what happened to Frank Reich last year in Carolina. You had all these very good coaches, all of whom are going to go get maybe even in some cases better jobs somewhere else, but didn't work well together because they didn't see the games in similar ways. Uh, if you don't have that and you can't lead that way, that's that's going to be a problem. But it's not necessarily about how good you are as a coordinator with another person over you as head coach. You know, the, the last point I'll make on this to touch on like what Ron said about the managing versus coaching thing is like the Ron may have correctly identified his split between managing and coaching, but like that belies the fact the way he presented it is like, 
hey man, like that is the job is to manage. You didn't do a very good right. job of it. And right. and obviously that is seen in the results. So I say that just to point that out, not necessarily to pile on, right. but managing is the job often of a coach. The higher up you are on the ladder, the more managing you're going to have to do. And so Mike McDonald crushing Bobby Slowick for a second time this year with his very, 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 very good Ravens defense doesn't necessarily mean that like, oh, he's got a vault to the top of the head coaching list. That said, what he's doing is insanely impressive. Yeah, what he's doing is insanely impressive. Again, like that's a very, very talented group, top to bottom. Like defensive backs are playing really well, linebackers are playing well, defensive line is playing out of this world. Just the depth they have there and the rotational ability, like the fact they're able to get so much out of a Kyle Van Oy, a guy that was on the couch, you know, for the first half of the season, comes out and looks awesome. You know, Jadavian Clowney having the most productive year of his career. And again, like the talent's important, but, you know, seeing what he's doing, McDonald's doing from a blitz standpoint, and it really, to me, just shows you how important, like all these games, you know, like we're going to talk in generalities because there's not enough time to talk specifically about each single one. But when you can find ways to generate pressure with scheme in the NFL, you're winning, you're winning football games. And I think that's what Baltimore does such a good job of. It's like, yes, you have four guys, probably six or seven guys there that can win one, one pass rush, but I'm not going to ask you every single down to do that because I know that's really hard. I know that's like an unrealistic expectation. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to find ways to kind of create overloads, have fire zones, mess with protection rules, create free runners that will later on free you up in those obvious four-man situations. And I think like when you look at the Baltimore game, that's the thing that separates the the the, the defensive performances because I do think that D'Amico Ryan's called a pretty good game. I'm like, man, I like this call here. I like this pressure. I like this coverage. But the Baltimore offensive line, they just seemed a little bit more prepared in terms of how they were going to handle some of those looks. And then the other thing that just is so glaring in this game and all the games in the playoffs is that quarterback needs to be a playmaking entity for you. Like it just, it, it has to happen. And I think about, we're going to talk about the quarterbacks here in a little bit for the draft. And I don't. I hate to be a guy of the moment, but every year in the playoffs, there's a reason like Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson are guys that you're just like you're sweating bullets when you have to play because like there's a simple play where D'Amico does a great job bringing nickel pressure. There's two free runners to the quarterback. Lamar kind of feathers back, buys a little bit of time, uses that athleticism, completes the ball for a first down. You're like that is backbreaking for a defense because that's the right call, that's the right execution, and the quarterback just says, you know what, I'm better than you on this play. And so good luck. And then, and I think that's the difference obviously is, is a, a talented roster with a good dynamic quarterback and a, and a defensive play caller that understood how to break protections and create pressure with an experienced defensive group to me is kind of the, the thing that defines that game. Yeah, for sure. And I think on the other side of it, right? Like obviously Stroud's a playmaker as well. And there's some moments in yes. that game where he extends drives and that's great. But generally speaking, the offense of the Texans felt the pressure like mm. McDonald and Anthony Weaver and that staff dialed up, tightened the screws so much on Houston that not only did they score three points, but all the penalties, like the offsides, like they were jumpy the entire right. game. And to have an offense that, by the way, put up what 45 on the Browns the week before to have them be that out of sorts that out of whack that unconfident that they're jumping off sides you know it wants a series yeah. um that they've got all these penalties they just can't execute the basics because because the, they're so tight um is is really impressive um and and again like I feel like sometimes we you know, we feel like we're just downplaying McDonald because of how no, talented yeah. they are and, and, you know, kind of 
making the point that they're they're different jobs. But I, I just can't speak you know highly enough of kind of what they're doing. And like you said, like is there talent? Yes, but some of that talent is you know guys that's primed five years ago, and he, right. he's found found the fountain of youth for them and found ways to set them up for success. Yeah, and I don't want to make it sound like he's not like again. Like I was, this is a game where I was really impressed with their blitz vision, you know, and how they yeah. executed their coverages. Like they just did such a good job of like in key moment. And it's not only the blitz because everyone runs, not everyone runs them, but a lot of teams run these blitzes, right? The blitzes where you're bringing four to a side and you're dropping a guy out. To me, I just see the timing of it is so high yeah. level, right? And it's just They're like, They're such oh, good teachers in Baltimore. Yes, yes. And like the timing of it, the execution, like how the, how the defensive end hooks the tackle's inside arm so there's no way they can bump through, how wait the de- how long the defensive tackles wait when they're the guys dropping out in the zones, and how quickly they get to spots and how they know how to match. Because so many times, man, people use defensive linemen to drop, and you're relying on the defensive line coach to coach those drops, and you just get two guys guys who are dropping to nothing right they're 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 not good at matching concepts and you see these guys you see pierce their nose guard who's 375 matching number three with his eyes running that direction like i know what to do in these situations so i don't want to detract from him in any way like they're a very talented team but you see it in the details man you see in the timing you see in the understanding you Again, to get to to get your nose guard to say I have to match number three in this look and to create a cloudy throwing window is big time stuff. In addition to having all these unique dynamic playmakers in the back end, you know Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen. I look at Ham uh, Hamilton, right, Kyle Hamilton, yeah, Kyle and like Hamilton, what, yeah. how how they use him. It's just they, they're doing some again. It's it's basic stuff done at a high level and then there's some innovative stuff that you see like with wink martindale like we talked about in the last podcast where you're like right man that's a really good blitz but again other teams do it it's just their execution given the talent given the coaching is just is is just at a high level yeah um so the teaching thing i wanted to follow up on that from your career and like to me that's a trait that could translate really well to a head coach because it shows like a clarity of vision and an ability like i look at a guy like mike mcdonald and i don't know that he's the one teaching all this stuff maybe he's got great position coaches maybe it's both um clearly anthony weaver is very highly thought of he's also getting head coaching looks as the the d-line coach right but when you look at just how solid they are on all three levels you have to think mcdonald's a big part of teaching not just some of the bigger concepts but some of the techniques and how to execute them and, and really getting that vision so everybody understands what you're trying to accomplish as a group, not just what the individual jobs are. And to me, that would translate really well, not just to a defense that he could be coordinating as he's the head coach, but it's like, if you have an offensive player who is struggling to get something, to have someone with that clear of a global understanding of football, like to me, that would translate well as a head coach. Is that, is that me putting together dots that don't connect? Or is that something that you've seen true in your career? Well, I just think about the best teachers that I had as position coaches, and I think about Kyle and how good of a teacher he was. And so obviously I'm biased towards that. I think Sean was one of the best teachers I had as a tight end coach. As a coordinator, he was a great teacher. Kyle was a great teacher, um, you know, as a coordinator, like in terms of his understanding of defense and how to kind of maximize you. And I, and I think that's what you're seeing from a defensive perspective. It's one of the things we've always said about Wink Martindale and why he would potentially be a good head coach is because he understands – defensively or offensively what you're trying to do to him and mm-hmm. i am coaching you up obviously it's it's clear just in the details of it of how to beat what the offense is presenting and i think that's where you say those skill sets those visions are 
are in my experience, what good coaches do, you know what I mean? And I think like, there's a reason, you know, like Kyle Shanahan, for example, his tree is so prolific or Mike Shanahan and that tree is so prolific is because he's got a bunch of guys who, who are good teachers, good communicators, and they understand the opposition. They understand football at a high level, right? They understand offensively how to beat defenses because these are the defensive rules. And I think you're seeing a little bit of that with Mike McDonald, where you're seeing these are the defensive principles we're trying to teach. And this is how we're going to teach them to beat offensive football right now. And I think that's like, you know, there's a reason that like when, you know, in a heavy play action offense, you're bringing these edge pressures, like you're, you're kind of challenging the, the backs and the tight ends in ways that make it very hard to execute these protections, which lead to explosive plays. And I like that. You know, we talked about in the San Francisco game that we watched how we're going to take away Christian McCaffrey. We're going to make sure that he's not a factor in this game. And that's just good process. And I think like it goes, it, it kind of goes hand in hand. I'm a good teacher. I understand football. I understand the direction the game is going. I understand what you're trying to do to us. And then I can communicate it to the guys because obviously the execution, you know, they do have good players, obviously, but the execution's at a very high level. Right. So that leads to the last thing before we talk about Kyle's team itself, uh, 49ers Packers, uh, and then obviously we'll hit the other two games as well, but wrap up the Saturday games here in a second. But like, it is worth pointing out for McDonald, unlike the resume side of it, he's the only guy that seems to be able to shut down the Shanahan tree. Yeah. Like as he, you know, he's in the coordinator, coordinator position of the team that has smacked San Francisco, smacked Houston twice, smacked everybody else, Detroit, like all of them. They've crushed them. What, yeah. it, what is it that he's doing to this style of offense that is killing everyone else? That is is not working against Baltimore? So I think it's it's multifactorial, obviously, but the one of the things that sticks out to me from a team-building standpoint, because that's what we're going to be talking about here with the GM and the head coach, is when you look at Baltimore, they are a very big, very physical football team, and I don't think that's an accident. Like one of the things with outside zone, for example, and like, so think about it, like in, in Kyle's system, in Mike's system, whoever, you know, it's outside zone sets up play action pass. And outside zone, the whole principle is we're going to try and get you to run horizontally to create horizontal lanes for the running back to hit. And then when we hit the play action pass, you have to move horizontally with us, vacating zones in the defense so we can hit the throw. And I think one of the things that I've seen and one of the things that I thought that Ron was going to try and do here with the defensive line personnel that they had is just get really big up front and be really physical and set nice physical edges. So then if I set physical edges, I can't stretch the defense. There's nowhere for the ball to go because I've got Jadavian Clowney smashing through the tight end's face and the back has to cut it up before he super wants Super fun to. when you're the tight end, huh? Yeah, it's super fun. I have I have a like I remember one time like this is Jadavian Clowney's rookie year, we had outside zone. Got to get your hat across his hat. And I remember hitting him like pretty much screw to screw and this is probably not the healthiest thing in the world, but feeling like an, like an electric jolt from the top of my head down to my feet. And I just was like, that's not great. You know, and like that, that, that's how, that's how he's setting edges, you know, to, to kind of speak to that. Right. A violent and, edge, as they say. And you need to have guys who can block those edges, but you also need to have guys who set them. And when you look at how they're built, they're big inside, they're big on the edges. I, from a team building standpoint, obviously there's more technical things going on here in terms of how they coach stuff up, the fronts they play, the the allocate. Like I, we talked about this last show, like they get into different spacings. And one of the things about Kyle that's so brilliant is he's like, if you're going to get in this spacing 60% of, 60% of the time, we're going to crush it. We're going to beat it because we know how to create angles to this. And they do a little bit of variety there. So you're not always in the same front spacing, which I think is great. But I, I just think there's something too 
we are a big physical football team. You look at their offensive line, they're all like 330 plus. They're just massive physical athletic guys that have developed in that system. And I, again, I don't think it's an accident. Like they, they're always like, they, they drafted Ben Cleveland. He's 6'6". Six, six, He's 360. They drafted Daniel Falele. He's 6'9", 415. Like they get these guys that are just big, huge physical dudes and they create a culture of physicality for those guys. And I, I think that's part of it. It's, some, it's sometimes like, you know, we're drawing up X's and O's on the, on the board. And when I'm playing Baltimore, I'm like, man, I don't know if our tight end can make this block. Man, I don't know if our guard can make this block because this three technique is going to blow him up because he's 340 and our guard's 290. I, again, it's it's more complicated than that because there's schematic stuff which, which we get into and the confidence with, which with they play. But there's something to that. There's something to having a 6'4", 225-pound nickel player that can play the post, that can play a box and cover your running back. Like there's something to that mentality. And so I think like when you're building a team, like they have a very clear identity. They have a very clear vision of who they want to be and how they want to play. And, and again, I think that's part of the reason why when you play Miami, like Miami's not a big group up front. You're going to get after yeah. them. So I think that's part of it. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, tell you what, instead of going to the other Saturday game, 49ers Packers, let's hit uh, Chiefs Bills real quick and just do the AFC. And that way we can talk a little bit about the matchup uh, with Kansas City and Baltimore coming up on Sunday. But this game, tremendous, tremendous yeah. football game, um, as is always like this game followed the script that all the others have. It's a tremendous football game that ends with Kansas City winning. And it's, I cannot believe it's another wide right for Buffalo. I just Crazy. feel so awful for them and their fans, like literally let them lose in any other heartbreaking f fashion. Um, you know, let the kick go wide left. Just literally <laughs> don't let the kick go wide right. Um, but also, you know, obviously some decisions by Josh Allen late. Um, I think one where he goes for the end zone that you're like, well, he's wide open. He just misses the guy and some yeah. others where you're like, ah, oh, let's just check it down, get a little bit shorter of a kick. Um, but generally speaking, I mean, I, I think what's so impressive about Kansas city is they find a run game in the yeah. playoffs. And while, yes, they are pass happy and, and outside of Washington, they were the pass happiest team in the league. Mahomes had more attempts than anybody, but Hal. Um, and I think it wound up being one attempt different by the end of the year when it comes time to it and defenses are like, Nope, we're not giving up this, right. not to Patrick Mahomes. They always seem to be able to find a way. And Isaiah Pacheco, uh, was the way in this one. Yeah, he was the way again, a nice physical game by him, just such a physical running style. And the both teams, both teams found ways to run the football that which are traditionally like passing teams, you're rushing, you're running John Allen, Josh Allen a little bit more, right? Um, Cook is doing a great job carrying the football and creating plays for you. They've got depth at the running back spot, the offensive line for them, which was kind of much maligned the the Bron uh, the Bills at the beginning of the season. They kind of find their form and like those big athletic dudes up front are, are making plays for you, which is great to see. But I do think it just shows you like as much as you want to throw the football, you got to be able to run the ball. And I, and this is something that maybe comes back to my biases of when I was watching the game. But when I look at, um, you know, Indianapolis, when I look at New England, there's a reason that New England came out victorious in a lot of those matchups, even though I think Peyton Manning was kind of a more consistently a better quarterback is because when they had to change gears, when they had to change their identity, they could run the football at a high level. I'm talking about New England. And I think it's cool to see Kansas City adopt that and not have to lean on Patrick Mahomes. And I thought it was great to see from the Bills as well. And then kind of package that all in, this, this, these two 
I'm going to say dynamic rushing attacks because they did some really impressive stuff and the running backs were great with quarterbacks that just, I mean, every third down they're elevating the offense. Every third down they got to make a play. In the red zone they're making plays. Like some of those throws, some of the ability, and it just, again, it goes back to the Lamar Jackson thing, but when you have that guy, and and we were really fortunate and blessed to watch this game because I think those are two top five guys, probably one and maybe three or four, depending on how you want to allocate your quarterbacks, you know, and Josh Allen. But when he's playing good football, he's probably one of the, he's probably two, you know, like when he's playing high level football yeah. and that's what he looked like. And um, it just shows you like when you have a guy who can just absolutely deal, you don't have to make a perfect play call, you know? And I think that that's something that uh, when we're talking about the commanders, like the importance of that second pick overall, just it, it, when I'm watching the game, I can't stop thinking about it. I'm like, you need, a, you, need a, you need a coordinator that understands the importance of running the football, but you got to have a guy back there who can make and extend plays. And the, the arm talent of Josh Allen, the kind of the moxie, the, the, the off schedule ability of Patrick Mahomes was just incredible. And again, it wasn't them all the time. But when you call on them, you know that they're going to make a play for you. And it was great to see other af aspects of both offenses step up. And the other thing I wanted to bring up, too, is credit to Buffalo in terms of team building. I'm, I'm you know, when I watch these games, I'm only thinking team building because, like, I'm draft, you know, almost 24-7 at this point. But or offseason, you know, free agency, too. But, yeah. you know, they draft Dalton Kincaid in the first rounds. Everyone like, well, how are you going to use the tight end? And they have this vision for how they're going to use kind of this you know, big zebra, big 11 personnel and get him involved and have him making plays. And I just think that's, it just shows you how having the coach, the coordinator, the GM on the same page leads to very productive decisions from a personnel standpoint. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's kind of the Bills are at this crossroads where they're kind of where New England was after their first group of championships. Unfortunately for Buffalo, they haven't won any. Right. Like New England was like, oh crap, we got to reinvent what we're doing offensively. And they went to this two tight end thing. Um, yes. It obviously was uh, uh, upended in the worst possible way, as in one of them right. turned out to be a murderer. Right. Uh, but, you know, from a football planning standpoint, it was a good idea. Um, Aaron Hernandez and, and Gronk, and they reinvented their offense, and Brady was exceptional. They wound up doing it again, and, you know, obviously with Randy Moss, and, like, that was in a different order, but you get the point. Like, yeah. they, they found different ways throughout the back half of Brady's career to make sure that he had what he needed um, in a bunch of different styles to ultimately be successful against the NFL defense of the day. And for Allen now, like they've got to figure out, okay, how do we keep this thing going? Like the Stefan Diggs era is probably over. Um, so what do we do now to make sure that he's got what he needs? And the Kincaid Knox duo seems like it's going to be at the center of that. Um, and then Kansas city is going to kind of enter the same thing here as Kelsey is ending uh, or nearing the end of his career. Still obviously got it, uh, two touchdowns oh gosh, yeah. um, on Sunday. But like as Rashi Rice emerges, like what does that look like in, in kind of the next phase? Um, do they do they lean heavier into a running attack, knowing that True. running backs are easily findable in the draft, um, and just kind of make sure the O line set? Like I think it's been pretty fascinating to watch the team building of these two teams as well, with that quarterback in place and highly paid. Because that's the other thing too is like Mahomes' numbers already been kind of big. That's why they had to trade Tyreek a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, but Josh Allen's number balloons this year. Like he's finally off of the rookie stuff. He's off mm. of the early years of the contract. Like next year is the first big Josh Allen year and how the bills build it up now. And, and especially since they haven't won anything with him, um, not his fault, but um, is, is going to be pretty fascinating. And we talk about team building. I don't know that it gets more fascinating than the next two years in Buffalo. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's exactly right. And it's tough. It's just, it was such a good game. Like talk about the games of the weekend. Like those were such fun games to watch, but um, yeah, man, I feel bad for Josh Allen because I feel like he did everything he could. And then people point to that third and nine kind of in their own zone right before the field goal is like a play that he could have done different. But I'm like, what about all like these other 50 plays where he's, or not 50, but 30, 25 plays where he's just doing absolute magic he's running over defensive tackles he's you know like i just felt like i was watching a kid in the 65 yard bomb in the air that digs drops and you're just like this is incredible like this is incredible so um it's too bad that it didn't work out for him again like i'm happy for patrick mahomes i'm happy for kansas city i'm happy for good football but i mean i just thought that was such a heroic performance until you didn't get those plays where you got to have them at the end of the game which i'm sure buffalo fans are pissed about today so Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. To the NFC games now, Logan. 49ers beat the Packers 24-21. Big time hang on at the end. Big time drive by the San Francisco offense to close this thing out and and pull ahead ultimately, finishing off with a Christian McCaffrey game-winning touchdown run. Um, But then you have the two picks from Dre Greenlaw. Hey, bro, get down. Uh, (laughs) So what what did you see in this one that you find interesting as we look at kind of through that commander's offseason lens? Yeah, first off, I was really impressed with Matt LaFleur and what they were able to do with those young playmakers, especially earlier in that game, just finding space, finding explosive opportunities. And Jordan Love, you know, like we've got a young quarterback that's going to have to develop here, you know, probably. I mean, I'm, I'm anticipating them drafting a quarterback at two, the commanders, and just how they did it, you know, like how, like if you can have him sit and have him develop kind of off in the wings, like think about where he was at this year and what he did this year, especially the second half of the year. Obviously, prior to this game, he had like 21, I think it was 21 touchdowns, one pick or something like that over the last couple of games. So something insane how good ridiculous. He's been. Yeah. And so like how how they how how did they make sure that he had a solid year, right? They leaned on the running game. They found easy opportunities. And then they made sure that the young receiving core developed around him and he had good weapons. So I think that's an interesting road. Max, same thing with Brock Purdy, for example, too. And again, this game is is a little bit different than the Kansas City Chief a Buffalo Bill game, but I also look and I'm just like the importance of the quarterback position in terms of elevating these offenses. Like I think we all, I was expecting to see a ton of play action, which you did from green Bay, right? A lot of play action, a lot of shots downfield. But like when you look at San Francisco in third down situations, like they're in just straight drop back mode and Brock Purdy's dealing, right? You get Brandon, Ayuk making plays on third and five. Like you, the importance of having elite playmakers like the George Kittle breaking two tackles and running for 50 yards. Like the, it's, it just shows you how, having a quarterback, having playmakers, having people that elevate your your play call is so incredibly critical. And that's what I think Jordan Love was doing for Green Bay, right? And then they didn't really have that outside of um, Aaron Jones. They didn't really have another piece that did that. But when you look at San Francisco, it's like, oh, we got George Kittle. We got Brandon Ayuk. We got um, Christian McCaffrey. And then we got a defense that's making plays for us. And I think that's the difference in the game. And when you're looking at roster construction, it's not, oh, we got a quarterback. We're fine. It's we got to have 
a, a great quarterback? And then how do we surround him with as many playmakers as we possibly can? How do we find a defense that creates plays and, and maximizes our, our whole team? Because I think that's something people sleep on with San Francisco is Kyle – he calls games trusting the defense that they're that they can run the ball as many times as they need to, and I think that's something that sticks out when you watch this game. Is like it's a close game, but it's a close game because Kyle doesn't panic. Nobody panics. They just kind of stay the course, and yeah. the defense ends up making some plays for him. So I think one thing that I've thought about with this game versus like the the one we just talked about in the AFC, the the Chiefs Bills game, is like who's who are the dudes, right? Like yeah. in the in yeah. the AFC game. The quarterbacks are the dudes, and the coaches call the, the game dudes yeah. generally that way. Where it's like, yeah, like we're gonna run it at times, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that, but we know at the end of the day, like we can drop our guy back, and if he needs to deal, he'll deal. Right. Um, where San Francisco, it's not that way. Brock Purdy's job is to get the ball to the dudes. Like the quarterback is not the dude. Um, right. And so That's it's like, point, how do we actually. get how yeah. do we get the ball to Christian McCaffrey? How do we get the ball to Ayuk? And how do we get them to? You know, Debo, when he doesn't have a maybe fractured shoulder, thank God, not fractured, yeah. um, hopefully can play this weekend. Uh, but like, how do you get the ball to Kittle? And and how do you get them in the space where they can do their dude stuff? And yeah. um, to, to mix sports metaphors here, like Josh Harris was courtside last night uh, as Joel Embiid scored 70. That's uh, crazy. Yeah, 70 broke the Sixers franchise record. And like, you know, in, in basketball, you have to have one of those top seven guys if you even want to have a chance at winning a championship. That's just the way the sport is. But in football, it's not necessarily that. You don't have to have one of the top five quarterbacks to win in this league. It makes it so much easier. Like yeah. what the job that the Bills and the, the Chiefs have to do because they have those guys or either the Ravens with Lamar are so is so much simpler because your floor is so high. Those guys right. elevate everything so much. But when you look at Detroit, who's got a top 10 guy, but not a top half of the top 10 guy in golf, um, when you look at Brock Purdy and what he does, you figure out, okay, what makes this guy good enough to be an NFL starter? Let's make sure that we play to those strengths and that those strengths are funneled through a way that gets the ball to our actual best guys. And, and we'll talk about this more with the Detroit game too, but like their target list is like Amon Ross St. Brown 14, yeah. Laporta 11 like Gibbs has like 14 touches in the game like they intentionally and this is why I like Ben Johnson so much get the ball to the guys right. and Brock Purdy I think is so fantastic at understanding how and when to get the ball to the right guys and while he did have some misses his general management of the game right. game manager is so high level that he's kind of the perfect fit for that roster in that system. Yeah, someone asked me like, "What's the biggest difference between San Fran this year and or and San Fran last year?" And you look at it, and it's the same schematically. It's the same playmakers. It's Brock Purdy just distributing. He's the point guard, right? It's and Kyle. Kyle deserves a lot of credit. He finds ways to get those guys touches in space. But also, like, there's there's a play. I forget the exact sequence, but it's like George Kittle just makes a dude catch. He's covered, breaks a tackle, runs for fifty, and I think it's on a third and six. And so. I, the 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 defense, the Green Bay, did a great job matching him. There wasn't a lot of space, but great throw by Brock Purdy, great play by your dude. And I think like that's something people sleep on. Is like, and we're going to talk about that in the Baltimore game or the Detroit game a little bit. But it's just like when you've got playmakers, how do you get them the ball? How do you maximize those touches? But also those guys got to make some plays for you to to kind of deserve that dude moniker. And I think that's something that you saw in that game is like they just got a lot of dudes, you know, uh, San yeah. Francisco, and they've got a lot of ways to beat you offensively. So 
to use another basketball analogy, like Draymond Green is one of the greatest passers that we've ever seen. And he's going to go to the Hall of Fame because the guys that he's passing to were Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. <laughs> and he just trusted that like, hey, I just got to get the ball to Steph Curry. What's he going to do? I don't know. He's Steph Curry. That's the point. Mm -hmm. Like uh, my job is to get right. that guy a sliver of space and let him do the magic. And I think you see that with like Kittle, right? Like I'm just going to trust that he's going to win. And there's some yeah. trust throws and there's some anticipation. And there's, you know, maybe this ball's not a great ball to throw because it's a super tight window and the catch is going to be contested to someone who's not George Kittle or Brandon Ayuk or whoever, but it is to them and Brock trusts it. And and the other thing too with But him, I think that's like, sorry to cut you off, but yeah. I think that's the thing about Brock that makes him special is he's not afraid of those tight window throws in right. a way that like, you know, we, we did a lot of evaluation of Sam Howell the second half of the year. And I'm like, oh, you know, this is a tight window throw. How can we expect him to make that? And I was like, let's go look at some other young quarterbacks. And I watched Brock Purdy. I'm like, Brock Purdy he is gonna he's gonna make that throw, and I and I think that's the difference with him is like he had they had a quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo who I've got the utmost respect for. He's an awesome leader, great dude. People rally around him, right? But he was always a little bit tentative in those high leverage, big time throw, tight window situations. And you got a guy here in Brock Purdy who's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna let it rip. I'm gonna trust my guy. And there's so much value in terms of elevating the offense, specifically on third down, because defenses are just too damn good. You're not going to get a perfect picture. You're not going to get a guy wide open. As much as you can try to beat him with the pen, like defenses are smart. They know what they're doing. And I think to see that, to to, to kind of give Brock Purdy his credit and his flowers, I think that's, yeah. that's the thing this year with that team that makes them scary to me, that makes me think they're going to play Baltimore here in a couple of weeks, and they can win if Brock Purdy plays like Brock Purdy play can play you know what I'm saying so yeah for sure and you know luck is would be helpful that first matchup so unlucky in a lot of ways balls off right. guys hands etc um but Baltimore then the second half just crushed him anyway crushed him. the other yep. thing I was gonna say um Ted Nguyen who does some film breakdown for the athletic had a great uh film clip on Twitter yesterday um on the McCaffrey touchdown run oh yeah. Purdy flips the play oh does and he? And well, he flips the play one. So good job. Like that's standard quarterback stuff of like understanding, yeah. okay, hey, my leverage is here. My, I got better numbers it, on right, left. Like for sure. So he does that. But he also, like the tight end then is about to come in motion and the play clock's running down. Like it's yeah. literally at three. And yeah. use check is like, hey, tight end needs to be over there. And tight end starts to go. Brock goes, no, no, stay there, stay there. And because he realizes and he understands the offense at such a high level that that tight end doesn't matter to the run play. Mm. They've got what they need as is, and the delay of game is too risky. Tight right. end stays, resets, they get the play clock or the playoff as the clock hits zero. McCaffrey, 37, 39, whatever it was, yard touchdown. But that high level understanding of the offense speaks well to Brock Purdy. It speaks well to the coaching staff that has taught yeah. everybody what they need to know. Like it's just excellent high level football and i think the other thing about that too is like great job like this is i think this is the perfect the perfect illustration of what san fran is is great x's and o's great execution but ultimately you've got a dude at running back and there's a free hitter in yeah. the hole and christian mccaffrey makes a miss and christian mccaffrey consistently makes the first guy miss and that's why he's one of the best running backs in the league and so i could call that play with logan paulson back there and i'm gonna run and i'm gonna get six yards and i was like wow that was really cool but the thing that makes it go from oh good job brock to like amazing touchdown game-changing play is you've got christian mccaffrey back there and i i think about that trade all the time when that trade happened and they gave up all that draft capital for him. I was like, that's so dumb. 
Like that's so incredibly stupid. You shouldn't trade that much for a running back, but they have this tremendous vision and understanding of how to maximize that player, what he's going to do for the offense. They run the offense through him and it looks like a fantastic trade, right? Because they, the GM, the head coach have a cohesive vision of how to build around a player. So like one of the things is like, oh man, you know, like so-and-so player X is not being super productive player, young player, free agent player. Obviously you weren't on the same page with her, how you're going to utilize that guy. And I, I think back to the Sean McVay thing with Puka Naku, I'm sure everyone's yep. seen that. Like talk about understanding who a player is at a high level and how he fits your offensive vision. I, I just, I, I hope with every ounce of hope I have in my body that that's the kind of relationship the GM and the head coach have, because if that's what you're doing and you get a GM who can identify talent and get you that talent, the talent you want, like you're going to do tremendous things. And I think that's the great thing about watching San Fran in the playoffs is they are, they are that team. They've identified who they want to be, how they want to be there. And they just execute in terms of getting the roster where it needs to be at such a high level. Yeah, and uh, thank God their assistant GM, who played an enormous part of that, is now the GM here. Right. Uh, which leads us to, uh, well, actually, it doesn't really lead us to, that's just kind of a wrap on that game. And last but not least, Lions and Buccaneers. Uh, big win, 31-23 for Detroit. Another 30-point game for this Detroit offense with one of the lead candidates, Ben Johnson, as head coach. And I think you just see what makes him good again, the way that yeah. he creates matchups. And, you know, I, I mentioned this earlier, but to me, the most appealing thing about Ben Johnson is he believes in the dude theory like it yeah. is so clear with how they run their offense that it's like we need good dudes and we're going to get them the ball we are going to emphasize jameer gibbs we're going to emphasize sam laporta we are going to in a playoff game get amon ross st brown 14 targets on a third and 15 we're going to tell amon ross st brown to run 16 yards turn around and be a bad you know what yeah. and catch the football and that is exactly like how he thinks about the game and they've gotten the personnel to do it and they deploy it at an exceptionally high level. Yeah. And talk about great like talent identification, like with Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, I think that's like, he's a guy that can just do some, like I, every time I watch him, I come over being like, man, this guy, is this guy like a top five receiver in the NFL? Like he just does so much good stuff, like subtly good stuff. His burst off the line of scrimmage. You know, I'm watching all these receivers for the senior bowl and I'm just like, that skill set is so awesome. The under, understanding stems, understanding routes, but understanding what his superpower is and how to maximize him from the slot. You know, he can win outside, but can we get him good matchups? And then the Jameer Gibb thing, I think is so fascinating because it just shows you the importance of speed. Like in the same way that Miami shows you the importance of speed, some of that stuff is literally like the concept is dead. They've run this beautiful play action concept. Um, Tampa Bay has covered it perfectly. They check the ball down to the running back who's like, just oh, it's just a normal check down. There's nothing, I'm not trying to get him a touch, but then when I get him a touch, it's like, oh shoot, he might go for 25 on this. And right. I think that's I mean, the, the touchdown I mean. that he has is he just breaks the math. Like yes. that's an all pro safety in pursuit with a pretty decent angle on most other running backs. And he just breaks the angle because he's so yeah. much faster than everybody else. And I think that's the, again, like when you've got guys that elevate, because again, like that's a great play call, but if David Montgomery's in there, that's probably not a touchdown. You know, he probably breaks right. the tackle. It probably is a 15 yard gain and everyone, but that's where you get that elite playmaker. And I, and I think we're probably preaching to the choir in terms of our fans, but you get that elite playmaker and a guy that can elevate and you've, you've, as a coach, you've put him in a good spot. You've coached him up. You've found an opportunity for him. And then 
you know, the God given ability just takes over. So I think, and it's same thing on the other side. Like when you watch Mike Evans, like I just am so impressed with that guy, his physicality, like the consistency that he's brought, the trust that Baker Mayfield has in him, but you've got a guy that can win versus almost any coverage and consistently win. And I think finding guys like that and speaking to his skill set, you're not going to have him run the same route tree as Amon Ross St. Brown, right? You're going to have him do different stuff, but understanding like, Who's the OC there? Like he did a great uh, Canales, job. I, yeah, yeah. I thought he did a great job of like. I can't st- believe he's not on everybody's interview list. Yeah, like he was. He's super impressive. Like just in terms of again, like the the kind of those game plan calls. Like here's a screen to the running back in the red zone, which we've gotten really good at. Here's another little easy touch where we maximize. So um, I was just really impressed with how he called the game, and obviously you get that unfortunate turnover by Baker in the third quarter. I want to say I don't remember exactly. Whenever that interception happens, yeah. Um, well, then you got you got uh, you know the one uh, at the end of the game as well. Obviously, the, the heck the, of a play by Baker. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, the linebacker no, but I, Baker, but yes, you're talking about the, yeah, the earlier one. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, but again, like just maximizing playmakers. Love Detroit. Love what they're doing. Love their vision. Sam Laporta. Oh my gosh. Like that's the other thing, man. You've got like four or five people that on third down, you can be like, Hey, we're going to have him run the isolation choice route. And he runs the isolation choice, choice route on a linebacker, dices him up. Jameer Gibbs, same thing. Amara St. Brown. And just having the flexibility to be like, Hey, you can be our guy this play. You can be our guy this sequence. You can elevate us. So the defense can't key in. Uh, it was impressive. And again, if that defense was playing a little bit better, I'd feel like, man, maybe this team could do some damage. But I just don't think they've got the juice defensively um, to, to kind of make that push. But we'll see what happens. Yeah, no, definitely. Canellis, by the way, does – Carolina's going to interview him a second time. I would not be surprised if he winds up getting that job. I don't know. Gosh, I'd probably turn that job down, honestly. <laughs> you would? You, you got I, a chance to go work with Bryce Young and your Canellis? You'd wait till next year? I wait till next year, the next cycle. I think, you know, like when you talk to people around the league, like it's the David Tepper thing, man. Like it just, it looms so large over that organization. And it's just like the fact he's quick to fire people. You're kind of, it's not an ideal situation. You need more support. Like I don't want my first job to be my last job, I think is my point there. You know, and I think because of how well he's done, he's going to have other opportunities. So like be patient. Get in the next coaching cycle. You're going to do a great job. Find a job that like fits you and and, and what you want to be as a head coach. I think so. Yeah, we'll see uh, what happens down there in Tampa. But uh, off they go. Does Detroit to San Francisco, and then obviously uh, you got Chiefs in Baltimore. That will be championship weekend. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. To the NFL draft we go, Logan. So you're out in California. Uh, your your agent um, has, has obviously got a bunch of players in this draft, and you know, your guys out at Cal Strength. Uh, who did you train at Cal Strength back in the day? They've not. been doing that that long. 
No, CalStrain wasn't a thing. I actually okay. strained at uh, Velocity Sports Performance, which is no longer a thing. But uh, CalStrength is like, this place is fantastic. Like, if you're a kid looking to get dry, like do combine prep, they have a beautiful kind of weight room facility. They have this relationship with this spa gym here where like we did hot yoga last night. They have a Pilates. You know, Ooh, it's how, just like, how's the body feeling today after hot I yoga? I actually feel pretty good. You know, like it was um, like my shoulders are sore. Like because you're holding your hands above your head so much, you know, yeah. and I'm just yeah, yeah, not. Yeah. Not not ready for that, um, but you know I'm, I'm I was pleasantly surprised myself to two my own horn. But then they've got they've got meals catered by like a five star restaurant out here. Like I was just like this is if you want like to get ready, combine prep. Yeah, I want to I want to be doing this. Like they've got you <laughs> stay in this beautiful hotel. Like it's it's such a different thing than what I, when I was doing. Where I was like driving two hours to go to Velocity Sports Performance when I was out there. But anyway, different yeah. different deal. But yeah, so um, you're out there working with some of the tight ends uh, that that your guys have. Yeah, so obviously, like, there's different phases to the offseason program. I, Dave Spitz is the head coach out here in terms of getting them ready physically for combine. So we're doing – he's doing 40 prep, doing 5-10-5, getting ready for the bench press. Uh, but a couple guys are going to the Senior Bowl, for example. Jared Wiley, the tight end from TCU, is kind of the, the biggest name of that group. And um, and it's my job to kind of say, like, hey, here are some things from a blocking standpoint to think about. Here are some things from an angle standpoint, route running, more um, position-specific work. And then the other thing I do a lot of with them here is just, like, whiteboard stuff. And I think when you – it's so surprising these guys have been in college for – there's a guy here, for example, who's been in college for seven years. You know, he's 25 years old, and he's an offensive lineman from Wake Forest, actually from the D.C. area. But, um, you know, like, just – what how they've been taught football over that span you know because college offenses are so different so kind of laying a foundation for them from like hey these are the types of questions you're going to get in the interview process these are some things you should probably know as foundational like nfl things you should see and um just kind of increase their football knowledge and then just help them kind of give the best interview they possibly can you know so like last night we're on the whiteboard we do a little bit of field work first then we're on the whiteboard and it's really just about kind of that mental process and then um you know i was not the best physical athlete of all time you know i'm not julio jones and i'm well aware of that my career is what it is i'm very proud of it but i also talk a lot about professionalism and just how to kind of make sure you're around longer than the other guy in, in the room with you you know and so that's something else i talk about and it's really just kind of getting them getting them all prepped for kind of the biggest job interview of their life so yeah, for sure. That's very cool and uh, excited to, to maybe talk a little bit more um, later in the week or next week about how it all went on the back end of it. But um, you are getting to, a chance to work with some of the top tight ends, top folks that are going to the Senior Bowl, and you've yeah. been grinding the tape. And yeah. this is a good time or as good of a time as any to announce that on Thursday's pod, Jim Nagy, the Senior Director of the Senior Bowl, will be with us. So we're very excited about that. Jim is the man. Um, he's the one who organizes everything. He knows all the prospects. He knows so much, so many front office personnel, coaches. Like we'll be able to ask him not only about what he's doing um, down there in, in Mobile, but about Adam Peters and about some of the coaches that he is, uh, or that he is familiar with that the Commanders are looking sure. at. So we'll be able to talk about everything with Jim uh, on Thursday. So excited for that. Um, but as you start to to do your prep, because you will also be uh, in Mobile next week yeah. for the Senior Bowl. Like, who are some of the guys that have started to stand out to you when you talk about not just that second pick and, you know, oh, if the, like, obviously the top quarterbacks aren't going to be there, but they're, right. the next tier of guys is. So whether anybody sticks out there that may be a trade-down situation or you get into that second, third round, like top yeah. of those rounds, which are going to be really valuable contributors for the commanders, hopefully immediately, but certainly uh, moving forward as they get into this rebuild. 
Yeah, and I think that's the fun thing about the Senior Bowl specifically is like it's a hundred and I think it's one hundred and thirty five, one hundred and thirty five guys right now on the rosters that have committed, and you know it's like some crazy number, like eighty five percent of those guys will get drafted. So yeah. it's just that Jim Nagy does such a good job of identifying talent, getting those guys in here, and saying these this is the draft pool. So I think between. Um, between that bowl game and then what's the other bowl game? East West, the Shrine yeah, game. Shrine game, the yeah. There, that composite, like, like that, two hundred of those guys will get drafted. So it, they just do such a good job of identifying that talent. And I think the thing that really sticks out to me this year um, about the draft in general is like, obviously, I think Washington will probably go quarterback at number two, and I'm kind of leading Daniels at this point at two. Like, just like when you watch this film, it's just it's tremendous. It's fantastic. But then it's about how do you find playmakers that fit him? And in this in this draft specifically, like the two positions that are just incredibly dense are offensive line, specifically offensive tackle and wide receiver. So when you look at the the list for receivers here, you're like, man, this guy, this guy who's like the fifteenth wide receiver probably would have been taken ahead of <clears throat> of um, of Quentin Johnson last year. Like that's how good wow. he is. And so having that kind of depth and all of those guys here at the senior bowl is going to be so much fun, I think. And that's the thing about it is like, it's not, it's like you you turn on the film, you're like, man, this guy, NFL player, this guy's NFL player. Right. Um, uh, like here, let me just pull my notes up real quick while we're talking. Cause I got a lot of notes coach and I can go through those players for you real <laughs> quick, but it's just like about having those opportunities. And then I think the other thing that I mentioned, the offensive line, like they're going to be some, really impressive offensive lineman there that you know like so with that first pick in the second round the one from pittsburgh and then the one from uh, the the commander's pick it's just like there's so there's such a good opportunity I mean the pick from of, uh chicago sorry that's what i meant yeah and so i think that's something that just sticks out to me so like xavier leggett is a guy that right now like he's a guy that had the highest miles per hour last year in college football he's an explosive play weapon and he's going to be around probably in that kind of early set, late first, early second round, uh, Devontae Walker from North Carolina is this kind of explosive playmaker, um, down the field type guy, right? You got Johnny Wilson from Florida State. You've got these, uh, you got Malachi Corley from Western Michigan, who's like Debo Samuel's twin, like no kidding. And it, so, like these, these opportunities for these receivers, like some of those guys, like Xavier Leggett, is a to me, he's a first round guy that might slip because of the volume of first round players into the second round. And I think you, you, you sprint the, you sprint the card in because he's, he's a former special teams guy. He's super physical. He's a big play weapon. He reminds me from a physicality standpoint of like an AJ Brown, Julio Jones, like just a freaky, big physical dude. And I think like the fact that that guy is going to be there in the second round potentially is just something that you're like, this is fantastic for the commanders because we can say, Hey, here's our quarterback of the future. Here's a dynamic legitimate. And it's not like, Oh, we're just taking a receiver because there's a receiver here. We're taking a legitimate playmaker that would have been the best receiver in last year's draft. Probably. Yeah. Um, one thing that Nagy was tweeting about over the weekend that I think is interesting too, and that is great for the commanders is this draft does thin out like the rounds four through seven is not very good in his estimation um, mm -hmm. that you're going to ta be taking guys in round five that are on your undrafted board, um, which sucks. Uh, but right. also the commanders have three picks or sorry, five picking picks in the early. top 100. Yep. And because you pick so early in the round, like you do, like you have a chance to maybe get an extra draftable player where other teams later in the fourth round, later in the fifth round are going to be 
you know, obviously taking guys uh, that that they would prefer to just sign as undrafted free agents because the talent pool is not there. It also just depends on your positions need or your positional needs, though. You know, some and basically the reason, uh, according to Nagy and his theory of the case, is that like some of the COVID years and all this stuff is finally caught up. That guys like they kind of ran out of ran out of depth. Um, with all all these COVID year guys finally Maybe, you know, yeah. having to be in the draft or um, you know finally kind of wearing out these last three years of, of guys taking extra years, two years, three years, whatever it is. Um, and so you have a lot less juniors in this draft and you have and, and the NIL stuff too, right? Guys yeah. are, are willing to stay um, because they can make money in college. And so ultimately the result is a thinner draft, but the higher you are, the less chance that impacts you um, because your pick might be before the 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 talent runs out. And with that stacked early, you know, five picks in the top 100, that is exceptional for Washington to try to get this talent-rich top before the bottom falls out of the draft. I, I totally agree. And I think it's good. It's rich. At, I th- mentioned offensive line, very rich there, very rich at receiver. But then you look at, like, edge, which the past couple of years has been very dynamic, you know, with kind of – you know, Aiden Hutchinson's the like these kind of really top end premier guys. And there's not really guys like that this year. So I think for the commanders in terms of team building the next couple of weeks, like there are some good players like Latu Latu will be there. He's the guy from uh, UCLA who's the Pac-12 defensive player of the year. Really dynamic edge rusher with great hands. But like after that, it gets a little bit of thin. And there are guys where you're like, oh, this guy has something. But kind of kind of to your point, Craig, about the depth, it's like at that position specifically, it's like these are like the four or five guys where like these guys will come in right away and help us. And then there's some other developmental athletes that could be, that could be features. But again, you're like, you're talking a little bit more developmental there. So to your point, like if you want a receiver, like have at it, there's like a million of yeah. them, you know, offensive linemen, it's, it's deeper than it was last year, in my opinion, in terms of starting caliber players, but like linebacker, tight end, um, you know, defensive line, you're a little bit like this gets really thin, really quick here. And so for the, for the team, for the commanders, like if you need a linebacker, like I would really be looking at the free agency market. If you need a defensive lineman, let's look at the free agency market because there's not that, that solid, consistent depth where you're like, oh, this is a guy, you know, from a small school that has pass rush upside. I, I've watched probably 20 of those guys so far, those defensive linemen. And I'm just like, I haven't seen the same kind of, oh, like, Oh, the tape's on. I got to keep watching because I'm so excited to see what this guy brings. So I think right. that kind of speaks to there are some spots where you're like, yeah, man, like you could fall asleep and draft the right receiver in this class. Like that's how good it is. But also, like, there's some other spots where there's not a lot of talent at the moment. So good to have $75 million in cap space. Uh, that's that's a nice little feature for Adam Peters to play with. Um, and also, this is why the senior bowl is great. Maybe one of those small school guys has a great week, and all of a right. sudden you're like, oh, wait. Maybe I wasn't that excited because he was just beating up on on some guy who's going to sure. sell an insurance, to use the classic example, uh, or whatever else uh, D3 football players are going to do after their... Uh, maybe it'll be a finance bro, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, 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 you're doing that, and all of a sudden he does it against an SEC left tackle, and you're like, that's the guy we got to keep an eye on in round yeah. three. Um, that's the beauty of the Senior Bowl, and we'll talk to Jim Nagy about it all coming up on Thursday's show. That will do for today. Um, I did definitely notice that Logan said... Hey, Lena and Daniels at this point. We will unpack that on an episode two as well. We'll do a deeper dive into the quarterbacks, probably at some point pre-combine, and then uh, obviously, again, post-combine as well. Um, got all kinds of fun stuff in terms of, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a podcast, Logan, so people are going to listen where they're going to listen, where we are is a little less relevant, but right. within the next month and a half, 
Uh, Logan will be at the Senior Bowl. I will be at the Super Bowl. Um, mm. We will both be at the NFL Combine. So there's a ton of cool stuff that we will have on the pod from all of those places. So now, even though the season's over, as good a time as ever to make sure that you are subscribed and that if you have any Commanders-loving friends, that they are subscribed too. Whether that's on YouTube where you watch us at 106.7 The Fan or your favorite podcast app, we appreciate you listening and subscribing to Take Command.